0: Good morning. Good morning to you all. A very, very warm welcome to you to this, our morning service of worship. Uh, it's great that you've been able to join us uh, here in person and also a very warm welcome uh, if you're watching online. It's great to have you with us. Uh, if you're new or if you're visiting, uh, please do uh, say hello to, uh, to us after the service over a cup of tea or coffee. It would be uh, lovely to get to know you uh, a little bit better. This morning we're continuing our series through John's Gospel on the service, uh, the series Come and See. And this morning Neil will be speaking to us on John chapter 5 verses 16 through 47. Come and see the one who is equal to God. Before we start, however, let's, uh, let's just take a moment. Um, it's, it's lovely that we have the incredible privilege of being able to uh, gather together uh, to worship the one true living God. And it's easy, isn't it, in the rush of the morning, uh, particularly if you're watching online at home, the many distractions uh, that you find around you, that we can come to worship, I guess, a little distracted, uh, maybe even uh, casually. Uh, so before we start our service of worship this morning, let's just take a moment uh, to ready our own hearts. Uh, remembering that God in his infinite mercy has allowed us, his children, to come and worship him, be in his throne room with him spiritually, and what a privilege that is. So let's just start the service this morning, uh, here and at home, uh, with a moment of silence. Perhaps uh, let's uh, close our eyes, let's, uh, let's bow our heads, and as we do that, uh, after a period of silence, I will pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you that we can come together as a fellowship of believers uh, to bring you our worship and praise as a response to all you have done for us. We pray that through the service by your spirit and through your word, you would speak to us, warm our hearts and fan into flame the love that you have for us, a love that through Christ you have planted in our hearts. Might our worship this morning rise before you as a pleasing aroma. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, he writes a long letter to the church in Rome, and in chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, he writes this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a glorious truth that is. That God didn't wait for you and me to get our act together uh, before He chose to rescue us. God's love for us is so strong that He sent the Lord Jesus to live the life that we should have lived. And then to die the death that we deserve in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous. Our eternal salvation offered to us as a precious gift, a gift that costs God his son, a gift he freely extends to each one of us. So allow the truth of how much you're loved by Christ this morning to burn brightly in your heart. Try to see just how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ for you. Uh, In a moment, we're going to have our prayers led by uh, Alan Gibson. Uh, We're going to have a little video of him uh, leading us in our intercessions. And after that, Anne is going to come and bring us our reading, after which uh, Neil will come and preach to us. It's good to have the
1: opportunity of sharing with you in worship this morning, even so I'm doing so from my own home. Let's seek God together now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that it is our privilege to be adopted into your family and to know that we have access into your holy presence by the blood of Jesus. The wonder of your nature as three persons in one God, is awesome. Difficult for us to understand, but we are so grateful that Jesus is equal to you as his Father, and that your Holy Spirit makes these realities true for us day by day. We thank you now that we can come and worship you. We pray this morning for the reading and preaching of your word. We thank you for the opportunity given to Anne and Neil to take part this morning. We pray for our brother John Billet as he preaches away and for Psalms this evening. Lord, we pray that by your grace, the word preached will touch our hearts and reach into our lives. We want to pray this morning, Heavenly Father, for some of the individual needs that there are amongst us as members of your family here. We know there are many concerns about people's health and the anxieties that have been referred to in the home groups. We know something of what the effects of COVID have been on families known to us. Lord, we commit each other into your care. I would pause for a moment now and suggest that each of us mentions by name someone on your heart who needs God's help and grace at this particular time. Just do that now. We've been reminded about the desperate needs of the country Ethiopia and we pray for the leaders of that country at times of social unrest. We pray for stability that will make your work possible. But Lord as we think about the needs of Ethiopia we pray for our own country too. You've urged us to pray for those in authority over us and so we pray for those in national and local government We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll give to us men and women of humility and wisdom who may find their lives and their grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for conversions amongst people in the public eye. And Lord, as we meet together as your people this morning, we pray for the activities of this fellowship through the week. We pray for those things that will be taking part during the weeknight activities. We pray for your presence in the homes represented here. We pray, gracious God, for your grace and strength to be given to your servants in their workplaces throughout the week ahead. We want to worship you, not just with our singing and with our hearing of your word we want to worship you with our lives and so we pray that you will help us to show to those around us that you Lord Jesus are alive and real today forgive us all that might hinder the effectiveness of our prayers this morning and receive our love and devotion Through Jesus our Saviour. Amen.
2: Our reading today is from John chapter 5, verses 16 to 47. John chapter 5, starting at verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be ashamed, amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one who he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes, and in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say?
3: Thanks very much, Anne. Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my saviour, and my hope is in you. All day long. Amen. Well, I'm sure our young people who are with us this morning or watching together in the the impact group will all have been taught from an early age by their parents the importance of telling the truth and not telling lies. I'm sure the children, the compassion projects throughout the world are taught the importance of truth. But why is truth so important. Why does one of the Ten Commandments say, uh, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not lie? One of the reasons is that truth is connected to trust. And trust is crucial to the health of any relationship. If we know that somebody's telling the truth, uh, then we can trust them. If we're not sure if they're telling the truth, then the bond of trust in that relationship is broken whether it's between colleagues at work, um, between friends, between a husband and a wife, or as we've seen recently, between a prime minister and his electorate. And that has controversial. We're in the middle of a sermon series in the Gospel of John in which we're being invited to come and see the man called Jesus. So far, we've seen he's the, the one who knows everything about us. Um, he's the one who does more than, than signs, the one who can make us well. And we're invited not just to see this man, we're also invited to believe him, to trust him. Because as we do that, we are promised we will receive eternal life. The question is, of course, why trust him? Why should we believe his promise? Well, the answer depends on who we think Jesus really is and whether we believe he really is who he says he is whether he's telling the truth. Because in our message, the passage this morning, he makes a radical claim that he is equal with God. Up to now in this series, we've uh, learnt about Jesus through his different interactions with uh, various people. In the passage this morning, we have a discourse, a speech uh, that he gives to the Jewish leaders in which he defends who he says he is. The context, as we saw last week, is that Jesus has healed a a paralysed man on the Sabbath. And the Jews have not just criticized him, it says here in verse sixteen, they began to persecute him. And in verse seventeen it says, In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. What he was saying was that the Sabbath was designed for people to rest from their busyness and to celebrate the work of God. God doesn't need to rest on the Sabbath because he he has limitless reserves of power. And there's lots for him to do. The world needs to keep functioning. Um, People need to be provided for and protected. People need to be healed. That's the work that God is doing. And that is the work that Jesus says he is doing as well. The healing that Jesus performed at the pool of Bethesda was proof of his divine power. Now, if Jesus is God, then that might be a a valid defense for him healing on the Sabbath. But to make the claim that God is his own father and that he's equal with God was a radical thing to say. And so the response of the Jewish leaders was in verse 18, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the first part of this passage this morning, from verse 16 to 30, um, consists of Jesus making his claims, and the second part until the end of the chapter is Jesus giving evidence for those claims. So Let's start with those claims. What are they? Well, first of all, he claims to be equal with God because he does what the father does. Verse 19, he says, very truly, I tell you, I tell you the truth. You can trust what I'm about to say. In other words, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. The father and son are two separate persons who together with the Holy Spirit make up the the Godhead, three in one. They're all dependent on one another. As it says here, the Son can do nothing by himself. They share the same character, the same will, they have always coexisted. They are in a perfect relationship of trust in one another, because they always hold to the truth. They have different roles and tasks. The Father is still invisible, he cannot be seen. Whereas the Son took on human flesh, he entered this world. It's the Father who, who sent the Son into the world. The son who's obedient to the Father to the point of giving up his life for our sakes on the cross. And the son who we will see is given authority by the Father to judge. It doesn't make him in any way inferior in being to the Father. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally God, but they perform different roles. And it's on the basis of those different roles in the Godhead that God gives different responsibilities to, to men and women in the home and, and in the church. Because both the Father and Son are divine, they share the same perfect character and attributes. It's not possible for the Son to go against the Father's will because they share the same same will. They walk exactly in step with each other. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. Imagine you've gone to and um, watch a a synchronized diving uh, competition. Um, but you can only afford the cheap seats, and uh, you've got a pillar blocking your view, which means you can only see one of the, the pair of divers. bit rubbish, isn't it? Um, but if that pair score a perfect 10, and you've only seen one of those divers, you, you can know that even though you haven't seen the other one, he's done exactly the same as that other diver. When we see Jesus speak and act in love... We know that he would not say or do anything that would contradict the character of the father. And therefore we're seeing the father as well. And that's not because Jesus' son is how forced to, to act that way. Um, that relationship of perfect harmony is based on love. Look what it says in verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. The implication of this is that we cannot believe in God without believing in Jesus. It says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, it's popular these days to say that there's more than one way to God. Um, Christians go via Jesus, Muslims go via Mohammed, etc. It sounds good because it doesn't um, offend anyone. You can all believe your own thing and everyone will be okay in the end. But although they have the same roots, Christians, Jews, and Muslims uh, believe in a very different God. They teach different things. They have a different understanding of the truth. In Christianity, the Father, Son, and Spirit are three in one. If you try and separate them, and say, well, believe in in that one, but not those two, or those two, but not those three, you don't believe in the same God anymore. Jesus claims to be equal with God. Because he does what the Father does. They're so in union with one another that we are told in verse 22, the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. In verse 27, he's given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Which brings us on to the next reason that Jesus gives for being equal with God is that he has been given authority over life and death. Verse 24, Jesus makes another very truly I tell you statement. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Wonderful implication of this verse and the fact that Jesus and the Father are one is that we're putting our trust not just in Jesus but in the one who sent him, in God the Father. And as we do so, we receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers, and we are made right with the Father. We are entering into a relationship with all three members of the Trinity. Jesus describes it as a crossing from death to life. Some of you all know the uh, the bridge diagram that's used to explain the uh, the Christian faith in quite simple terms. Um, our natural state, you see, on this left hand side there um, as humans is that we are sinful and so we've become separated from a holy perfect God by that sin and that means we are spiritually dead or as the Bible describes we're living in darkness and whatever we try to do however many good deeds or religious acts that we we try and perform we cannot do enough to cross that bridge to to the perfect holy God we'll always Fall short. But the good news is that Jesus, by living that perfect life that we should have lived, by dying the death that we deserved, he's dealt with that issue that separates us from God. He's removed our sin. And so we're now able to walk across that bridge that Jesus has built from death to life. And we receive spiritual life at the moment that happens as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. It means we no longer need to fear the day of judgment when that comes. Because on that day, we're told, if we look at verse 28, um, all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live. Those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. It doesn't mean we'll be judged according to how many good deeds we have done. It means that if we have been truly saved, it will be evident in the way we live our lives. Jesus' disciples, we are told, will be recognized by their fruit, by the way they live their lives. As Christians, even our good deeds will still be tainted by sin. But when they're judged, the sinful elements of those will be forgiven and removed. We'll be right with God. We can enjoy life. Whereas, sadly, those who have rejected Jesus' offer of forgiveness will be condemned to eternal punishment. And so Jesus claims to be equal with God because Jesus does what the Father does, and he's been given authority over life and death. But having put forward his case, what evidence does Jesus use to back it up? Why should we believe him? Well, The second half of this passage supports his claim to be equal with God, with three different pieces of evidence. The first of those is calling on the testimony of a trusted witness, who is John the Baptist. Now, in the Mark's Gospel, uh, we read how the whole Judean uh, countryside, all the people in Jerusalem, went out to John the Baptist to, uh, to hear him and to be baptized by him. He carried considerable influence. And back in chapter one of of John's gospel, we read how the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites to find out who this guy was. Was he the Messiah, they asked him. And John said, no, I'm not the Messiah. But this is what he said in verse 32 of chapter one. He said, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. That's Jesus. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So going back to chapter 5, Jesus says in verse 33, You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Jesus is saying, John told you the truth. Now, why won't you accept it? God worked through his human testimony then and still does work through human testimony today, doesn't he? It's the most common way that um, people come to faith in Jesus through the witness of, of other uh, Christians. We heard how Caroline came to faith this morning, didn't we, Through the witness of that that woman when she was just a child. Let's not lose our confidence in God that he can use us as human witnesses. But then Jesus carries on, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. In other words, at the end of the day, John is still a man, whereas Jesus is God and is therefore far more trustworthy. And so the next piece of evidence he brings is his own works. He says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. These works include his miracles, which demonstrate his divine power, which he would not be able to do if his Father had not sent him to to do them. include the healing of the the blind, the deaf, the lame, changing water into wine, feeding the 5,000 that we'll look at next uh, Sunday, calming a storm, bringing a person back to life. His greatest work, though, will be giving up his own life and being raised from the dead in order to rescue people from sin and judgment. Look at the works of Jesus and what they prove. Well, Jesus' final piece of evidence uh, is that of the Father through the Scriptures. verse 37 it says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures refer to the word of God, which the people had at that time, which we refer today as the, the Old Testament. But how did the father testify concerning the son through the scriptures? Or through the many promises he makes that he will send one called the Messiah, the anointed one, the servant king. He will send him to rescue his people. For example, God says to King David after uh, him would come from his offspring, one for whom he would establish his throne uh, forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son, we read. In the Psalms, the father says, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. In Isaiah, we read, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We could go on and on. There's so many references we can find to Jesus. And so Jesus says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Well, having supported his own claims with overwhelming evidence, let's bring all this together and ask the question, what might hold us back from accepting the truth of Jesus' claims? We've heard his claims. Um, We've listened to his evidence. We have to come to have to come to a verdict ourselves, each one of us. Who do we believe that Jesus truly is? Do we believe he's telling the truth or not? Because there's no room for abstentions here. When we face Jesus on the day of judgment, we will either belong to his people because we put our trust in him or we will belong to his enemies. There's no in between. What was it that prevented the Jewish leaders from believing? What is it that might prevent us from believing? Well, a couple of things that Jesus points to. Jesus said, you have, you refuse to come to me to have life. Why, Why was that? There was a pride and unwillingness in the Jewish leaders to accept that Jesus could be the Messiah. There was an I know best attitude. I'm leading a good life. I'm I'm keeping all these rules. I'm okay. If we are to seriously consider the claims of Jesus, we have to first humble ourselves. We have to accept the way we have been living our lives up to this point may be wrong. It's accepting that everything we've stood for, we could be wrong. And that could be many years of our lives. It's pride that makes us stick to what we believe and we think there might be a possibility that we may be wrong. If the truth is so much better, why would we not try and find it? So if you are somebody here who's new or maybe somebody who's been coming for, for some time still trying to understand what Christianity is all about, can I encourage you to, to read the Bible for yourself and be prepared to have your life changed Because the word of God is not just words on a page. It is living and active. The Holy Spirit uses it to change lives. And if you don't know where to start, uh, then have a word with uh, Saab or Colin or myself and we can read it with you or point you in the right direction. What if we're already Christians? What is our attitude to God's word? Do we read it as the truth? Fully trustworthy because... The human authors were inspired by God Himself, and so it must be without error, fully reliable. What do we do with the bits we don't like? Do we ignore them? Do we dismiss them? Reinterpret them to conform to um, our views and what we think they should say because we know best? Or do we trust that they're there for a reason, and therefore we need God's help to to understand them? One of the ways in which the the devil tries to destroy the faith of Christians is by undermining their trust in the word of God. And living in a society whose values um, have become very different from those uh, of God, having rejected him, it's harder and harder to have the courage to say, actually, I believe this is the truth. Do we think we know better than Jesus Another reason we might uh, that might stop us from believing is we prefer the love of people to the love of God. Jesus carries on. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. To love God is to be so convinced of the truth of His Word that you love to obey it, because in so doing, you, you know you're pleasing God. It's to be able to say the same as the psalmist who writes, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I can't get enough of your word. And I'm so determined to please God that I'm prepared to look foolish, to be unpopular, or even be persecuted because of it. Jesus accuses the Jewish leaders of being more interested in what others thought about them than what God thought about them. In verse 44 he says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? If we're honest, even if we've been Christians for a long time the fear of man is a weakness we probably all struggle with some more so than others and the devil will keep trying to exploit it as a young person at school you want to fit in don't you you don't want to be seen as the the weird one who is different from the rest as a parent you want to please your children You don't want to be told that you're the one who spoils their fun and doesn't let them do anything. As an employee, you want to please your your boss. and know that if you refuse to do something which they ask you to do, which you know is wrong, it's going to make you unpopular. As a church leader, you want to, to please your members. And so you'll be tempted to do and say things that please them instead of what pleases God. Ultimately, The reason we prefer the love of people to the love of God is because we've not fully grasped just how much God loves us and how much we can trust him. The more we grow in our understanding of his love for us, the more we will be free to stand up for the truth and to proclaim the truth to a world that needs to hear it. Jesus said, I tell you the truth Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Let's have a moment just to reflect on those words and allow God to speak into your heart and to convict you of something maybe you need to repent of um, and turn to him in trust and repentance. Let's have a moment of, of quiet. Father God, we do thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to make it possible for us to cross from death to life. Thank you that uh, we haven't deserved that possibility, but He's offered it to us as a free gift. And so we do pray for anyone here this morning or watching who hasn't yet received that gift, that you would enable them to see the truth of what he says and the difference that it can make to their lives. And Lord, for, for each one of us here, we do pray that we would uh, believe in that truth, the whole word of God, and apply it to our lives, that we wouldn't be afraid of what the world tries to persuade us to believe, that we would hold firmly to this truth and hold firmly to our faith in Jesus Christ for his name's sake we pray Amen
0: and that does bring us uh, to the end of our service uh, this morning Uh, my prayer is that uh, as you've journeyed through the service this morning that you have met uh, with the risen God uh, that he has spoken to you uh, that he's encouraged you Uh, if there's anything that you need prayer for Uh, then please do uh, pray with the person you came with or reach out to uh, me, uh, to Colin, uh, or to Neil. It'd be a privilege to be able to uh, pray with you for anything that's uh, really uh, tugged on your heart this morning. And uh, to close, uh, some words of benediction uh, from the end of uh, the letter to the Hebrews. The writer says this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything for good, for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.